Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts today, Kathy and Karen. We are recording on January 22nd, which means Happy Lunar New Year to everyone. It is the year of the rabbit. Today, we are discussing episode 45 and 46 of the story of Yanxi Palace or Yanxi Gonglu. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter, or else email us at Kathy at chasingdramas.com. This podcast episode consists of a drama episode recap, and we'll move on to discuss the history also depicted in this episode. In episode 44, we saw the handsome Fu Hong return to the palace from war. It's been a couple of years since he jetted off, and he is back victorious. At first, he was excited to be back, but then his world shattered when he saw Wei Yinglo appear before him as a concubine of the emperor. His return presents a sticky situation for both him and Yinglo. Chun Guifei, who is not pleased at all at the rise of Yinglo's status in the palace, immediately takes action. One night, when the emperor visits her, she does not hesitate to casually mention how Yinglo must be happy to see that Fu Hang is back and highlights their prior relationship back at Changchun Gong. This causes the emperor's suspicion to be tested, and he deliberately avoids heading into Yanxi Gong to see Wei Yinglo. Shortly after, rumors start flying all over the palace about Yinglo and Fu Hong's prior relationship. Xiao Jiapin, who had been grounded, takes this opportunity to stoke the flames of the fire by crying in front of the emperor, begging for forgiveness, and then casually mentioning Fu Hong as well as jealousy of women. The emperor gets the hint, but becomes angry nonetheless at hearing this. He heads over to the Empress's palace, who cleverly highlights that Yinglo and Fu Hong's relationship is bound to be stronger than others because of their relationship with the late Empress. However, she then praises Yinglo's behavior in the palace for not having any opportunity to connect with Fu Hong since she arrived. This causes the emperor to further be agitated because he's not sure what to think anymore while the empress is mightily pleased that Chun Guifei has such a foe in the palace. Once again, we currently have Xiao Jiapin acting all worried in front of the emperor and then the empress just subtly hints or like nudges the emperor to think one way, which again just shows how... Much higher of an opponent, I would say, the Empress is compared to Xiao Jiapin. Yeah, definitely. There are three uh, levels of opponents in this episode, and Xiao Jiapin is, you know, bottom right, tier. Yeah, <laughs> bottom tier. <laughs> Just as the rumors are flying everywhere, Ying Luo runs into Fu Hang in the gardens. But instead of turning back, she agrees to speak with him right then and there with Ming Yu present as well. Fu Hung doesn't hesitate to bear his heart out and ask why Ying Luo did not wait for him, and that he has no ability to not think about her. Ying Luo, to her credit, makes it clear to him that since that fateful winter day 
when Fu Hong and Er Qin came to the palace while she kneeled for hours. She already let her feelings go. And because this specific conversation was in public, it was overseen by both the emperor and Chun Guifei, who most certainly guided the emperor there after her maids saw Ying Luo and Fu Hong speaking in the garden. With this little interlude, the tide turns again against Ying Luo. Her maids are bullied in the palace, and her favorite gardenia flowers were confiscated by the emperor to become potpourri for uh, the chamber pots. Furthermore, a new eunuch at Yanxi Gong Xiaoquanzi was captured by Ying Luo and Ming Yu as he was stealing goods from Yanxi Gong. Ying Luo lets Xiaoquanzi go, but notices a peculiar handkerchief that was in the bag of stolen goods. Even though Xiao Quanzi was rather apologetic about stealing the goods, he managed to swipe a hairpin that was then given to an unknown maid outside. With this overhang that Ying Luo may not be faithful to the emperor, she manages to seize her opportunity for a turnaround shortly after. Chun Guifei escorts the Empress Dowager, the Emperor, and several other ladies in the palace to see the Suzhou Market that she set up in front of the palace. It's a cute little market that Chun Guifei put together to put a smile to the Empress Dowager's face. As the cohort of people walk around to explore this beautiful market, they hear a familiar voice and they see none other than Ying Luo at a stall in the market selling different types of wines. She has taken off her court attire and dressed down to match that of a wine peddling woman to great effect. Both the emperor and empress dowager are pleasantly surprised to see her while Chun Guifei's face is absolutely hilarious to look at. She is staring daggers at Ying Luo because Ying Luo has taken all of the attention away from Chun Guifei, who spent time and energy putting this market together. Now, all of the attention is back on Ying Luo. Not only is Ying Luo selling Jiangnan wines, but she also learned a little bit of Suzhou dialect in order to sell her wares. It's a fun little scene for Ying Luo, but I will say that uh, I was reading a lot of online comments and people were like, I don't really know if she's actually speaking um, Jiangnan or Suzhou dialect because for this, it's the voice dubbing person who had to learn a little bit of that. And many Suzhou people were like, I don't know what she's saying. Regardless, I thought it was fine for Ying Luo uh, to play this little part. And despite what the emperor says and how he behaves, uh, meaning he's rather dismissive in this scene, he ultimately decides to visit Ying Luo at Yan Gong that night. I feel like the emperor is so easily dissuaded or persuaded one way or another. Yes, but I think it's really just what the emperor wants to hear with regards to Ying Luo. Now, something important to note here in a scene that's a blink and you'll miss it scene is that the Empress asks for donations from women in the palace to help with the war effort and then also use the market that Chun Guifei set up for actual use. This will come back later. At Yanxi Palace, the Emperor stoically drinks tea while Ying Luo takes her chance. She puts her acting skills on display and pretty much recreates exactly how Xiao Jiaping, Chun Guifei, and the Empress behaved 
to the emperor with regards to Yingluo and Fu Hong's relationship earlier this episode. It's hilarious because the emperor at first did not have any idea what was going on, and when Yingluo starts fake crying, the little twitches on his face actually made me chuckle. He was like, WTF is she doing? But this little show works because the emperor decides to let this go as Yingluo asks him for some more trust between the two of them, as in him and her, not her and Fu Hong. And the emperor openly admits that he likes Yingluo's type of quote-unquote bad woman. I'll be honest, when I watched Xiao Jiaping earlier in the episode and her like fake crying, I was like, Ugh. I got kind of like, I don't know, felt like a little bit like jittery of like, this is kind of like creepy or like just didn't feel right. And then that just kind of solidified my take on it later when Yingluo was acting this way to say like, yeah, Emperor, why did you totally just fall for this? I do think it's a little rich for Yingluo to ask for trust because I feel like after all these palace dramas we watch, the number one thing that uh, you cannot really get from the emperor is number well, number one is love and number two is trust. With this whole roller coaster of emotions seemingly subsided, we head back to the Suzhou market in episode 46 with the Empress Dowager and the rest of the ladies in the palace. Chuan Guifei has helped set it up so that it can actually function as a market and items from the Imperial Household Department, for example, that are unneeded can be sold on specific days at this market. But as the Empress Dowager strolls through the market, they see that stolen goods from the Empress Dowager's palace, Shou Kangong, are being put up for sale. Not only from her palace, but goods from Yanxi Palace and many other palaces were also on sale. This greatly angers the Empress Dowager that such theft has happened and does not hesitate to show her displeasure at Chun Guifei, who put this market together and was not careful in vetting where various goods came from. Evidently, this market became an opportunity for those thieving palace maids and eunuchs to make a quick buck and create a black market that is now legitimate. Chun Guifei suffered a heavy blow that day, and she knows full well that this was orchestrated by Ying Luo, just by looking at Ying Luo's gloating uh, face after all of this happened. Indeed, we see that it was Ying Luo who told Xiao Quanzi to move the pilfered goods from the palace to the market because Xiao Quanzi was involved in all of this uh, black market action. And... Yingluo was very pleased that she was able to humiliate Chun Guifei. This was more or less Yingluo's retaliation against the rumors that Chun Guifei spread about her and Fu Hong. Indeed, I feel like Chun Guifei has met her match. Speaking of, Fu Hong, this poor guy, is still being mopey about his non-existent relationship with Yingluo. Like, dude... It's been years, and plus, you were the one to give up Yingluo. I know I commented in the last episode that I was very, I was very happy to see you like shed real tears for this lost love. But come on, <laughs> there's all this melancholy music in the background, and he's fully ignoring Erting's attempts to seduce him. Which good for him, but he should recognize that there's absolutely no future between him and Yingluo. Not only that. I think this needs to be drilled into his head that he was the one that caused all of this to happen. Ugh. Anyways, 
We now turn to the memorial for the late Empress to finally put the whole rumors to rest. I personally loved this scene. It was, um, I guess, palace backstabbing or intrigue at its best. Fu Hung arrives at Changchun Gong to pay his respects to his late sister. As he's heading out to meet the emperor, he is bumped head-on by a young eunuch who had a bowl of sacrificial meat with all this liquid in his hands. Now that his outfit is unclean, he has no choice but to listen to the nearby maid and this young eunuch to help him clean his outfit before seeing the emperor. As he gets dressed again and is about to leave Changchungong, he is actually called back by Ying Luo, who is with Ming Yu. Ying Luo requests him to stay, and they have a rather heartfelt chat. She says that he ought to leave the capital as he doesn't fit in the palace, while he also acknowledges that it was his mistake for his decision in the past. But as they're having this little chat side by side in front of a painting of the late empress, Xiao Jiapin arrives with the emperor and states that the two of them are having a secret amorous rendezvous. The emperor is furious at the sight, while Xiao Jiapin says all manner of nasty things implicating that the two are having an affair. It gets worse when one of Ying Luo's hairpins falls from Fu Hong's person, evidently planted there by the small eunuch earlier when they cleaned Fu Hong's outfit. So what this tells me is that just because a eunuch is only 12 or 13 doesn't mean he's not a bad person. The emperor at this point is seething at the scene, though he actually doesn't have too many words to say. But that is when Ying Luo starts chuckling. She laughs that Xiao Jiaping's acting is too poor and calls for the eunuch Xiao Quanzi to be dragged forth. In front of the emperor, Xiao Quanzi reveals to the audience that it was he who stole the hairpin by order of Xiao Jiaping's headmaid in order to create the facade that Ying Luo and Fu Hong were having an affair. This was all a plot by Ying Luo, who recognized that because Xiao Quanzi tried to steal a basic handkerchief, he was most likely trying to create a fake relationship between her and Fu Hong. Otherwise, why would he steal something that has no monetary value? Plus, because Xiao Quanzi was involved in the black market activity at Chun Guifei's Suzhou Market, Ying Luo basically gave Xiao Quanzi no choice but to come forth in front of the emperor and come clean about his relationship or his actions against Ying Luo uh, for Xiao Jiaping. With this, Xiao Jiaping only cries and denies having any involvement, but the emperor has had enough. She is placed under house arrest in the palace and no longer allowed to leave before he storms off. Problem is, just as Xiao Jiaping states, she might no longer be in favor, but Ying Luo's position in the palace is now even more precarious. After all, the emperor did just see Ying Luo and Fu Hong together. No matter how innocent this encounter was, it will still have a lasting impact on the emperor. I will also want to take the time to say, Fu Hong, you just stood there, I don't know, like a flower or a tree? watching all this unfold, and you had nothing to say about yourself except for, like, we didn't do anything. On the other hand, look at Ying Luo. She was prepared for this meeting or any type of meeting. 
She was ready to say, hmm, you know, you're like a level one opponent. Let me just squash you right here in this episode. Uh, so what that means, Yingluo's comments about how Fu Hung does not belong in Zijingcheng or the Forbidden Palace is really true. He would not survive uh, in the palace with these types of tactics floating around everywhere. Right? Like, with that small or that young eunuch, he was like, oh, it's okay. He's, He's too kind-hearted. Yingluo, like, nope. <laughs> and that's where we leave episode 46. We will find out how Yingluo again turns the tide in getting the emperor's favor again. Dude, being a consort or the concubine in the palace just seems so exhausting. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, we have this drama, we have empresses in the palace and countless others to uh, <laughs> learn from. All right, let's move on to history. We have quite a lot. So the first one is going to be a poem or the poem that was recited by none other than Xiao Jiaping when she tries to plant the seeds of suspicion in the emperor's mind. The poem's name is called He Ling Hu Xiang Gong Yong Zhi Zi Hua by Liu Yu Xi. The translation of the title can go as such. To speak of gardenia flowers with Mr. Ling Hu. The poem was written probably between the years of 836 and 837 by the Tang Dynasty poet Liu Yuxi. He lived from 772 to 842 and was a philosopher, scholar, court official, and of course, poet. In the drama, we only have the first four lines and I will say the full eight here. Here's my translation of the full poem. The petals on the flowers in the kingdom of Shu have already fallen, but the gardenias are still blooming. The bright colors are like those of the immortal trees. The fragrance is almost as though it comes from the far jade palace. While enjoying these flowers, we needn't worry if the branches grow jealous of these petals. If the beauty wants to be praised through song and poems, why wait for the winter plum blossoms to bloom? All right. In the poem, if you'll note, we don't actually hear the words hua, and that is because Hao from the line Kai is another name for gardenias. So even though the title is called or is the gardenias, in the poem, we only get Yuetao. Now Yujing is what Xiao Jiaping recommends to the emperor to name Fu Hang's new manor. Yujing represents the palace the heavenly emperor lives in. I personally really like the word Yujing. I think it's very eloquent. Next up, let's move on to talk about the Suzhou market that Chun Guifei so deftly put together and then was promptly overtaken by Ying Luo and then subsequently shown to be a place for black market activity. The Suzhou market in the drama took place in the palace. But did you catch the one phrase that the emperor says in the drama? 在万寿四前 
盐浴河两岸专门为太后建一个苏州街 ，which translates to in front of the longevity temple along the two banks of the royal river. I will build a dedicated Suzhou street for the Empress Dowager. Well, he did actually build it. In 1750, Emperor Qianlong began a project that would cost over four million taels of silver to build. That was called the Qingyi Yuan, or Gardens of Clear Ripples, for his mother as a sign of filial piety, and also for her 60th birthday. This became the precursor of what we know now as Yihehuan, or the Summer Palace, which is in the western part of Beijing. The Suzhou Street. Is situated between Houhu or the Hou Lake. It's not really a lake, but a river. Along the two banks of the river, a small market that replicates the sound and feel of a Jiangnan water market that was to be enjoyed by the royal family was built. The first version of the Suzhou Street Market was indeed built for the Empress Dowager's birthday, and according to records, was quite rushed. In the subsequent years, the street market. Wasn't really a market to be used by locals, but kind of like a tourist attraction for the royal family. There were antique stores, jade stores, silk stores, pastry stores, jewelry stores—you name it. The workers were, of course, eunuchs <laughs> and maids who pretended to be shop owners for the pleasure of the royal family, somewhat similar to what we see in the drama. I can imagine it being like, "Hey,、uh, the emperor wants to come tour this place. Everyone." Get in your positions and like pretend to be a shopkeeper. <laughs> Get dressed. <laughs> I mean, I would assume that these、uh, servants actually maybe had a blast because they get to cosplay, right? Cosplay, however you say it. Unfortunately, much of this street market was destroyed in 1860 during the Second Opium War. In 1986, there was an effort from the Chinese government to restore this Suzhou market. Today. A stretch of 300 yards of the Suzhou Market was restored and rebuilt, based on records from the 18th century, including 60 plus storefronts. I feel like we use the word "stunning" to describe several things in our drama recaps, be it wardrobe, jewelry, etc. The Summer Palace, however, Yihehuan, is truly stunning. It is a UNESCO World Heritage Site and successfully, or thankfully, survived most of the pillaging by the Western forces during the Opium Wars. And the grandeur that we see today can rival the most famous palaces elsewhere found in the world. The grounds are massive, so it's tough to visit every part of the park, and people usually do. I feel like a quick sprint around the lake. I will be honest; I don't think I've ever paid attention to whether or not I've been to the Suzhou Market Street. Karen, have you? No. To your point, walking through Yihehuan, just touring everything is is a day's hike. I remember going there a couple years ago, or you know, we I've been a couple of times, and basically by the end of it, I felt like my feet were gonna fall off because there's so many stairs. You're doing a lot of climbing and walking, and I was like, oh, why would Empress Dowager Cixi be able to like get around? And I'm like, oh yeah, she had a million servants that would carry her everywhere. Right for me, I feel like I would just climb up the longevity mountain to see the main pagodas, and then that、That's、would be my、it. day. <laughs>
I do feel like in the recent episodes, we've been just calling for all of you to visit China, to visit these landmarks. This summer palace is a must-see. If you can only visit one, visit this one, Yihe Yuan, rather than Yuan Ming Yuan or the old summer palace. Yihe Yuan is still very much a tourist attraction, even for the local Beijing population. All right, I'm going to next move on to a couple of things we saw in the Suzhou market, which namely is wine. There are, by my count, six types of wine that Wei Yingluo names, which include Sangluo, Xinfeng, Juhua, Nuerhong, Zhu Yeqing, and Du Kang. All of these different types of wines can be found in China, and they're typically rice-based or sorghum-based. But, for example, Juhua or chrysanthemum is a chrysanthemum wine which uses a mix of chrysanthemum flowers or gluttonous rice and chu to make the wine. Now, of the six, I've only had a couple of the wines mentioned here, including Nuerhong and Zhu Yeqing. Zhu Yeqing is also made of bamboo. I personally prefer the lighter wines such as Guihuajiu or Osmanthus wine and Nuerhong. The more famous Chinese wines or liquors such as Baijiu are way too intense for me, and、um, I do reserve it only for special gatherings with family or holidays. Now, if you need any good recommendations on Chinese wines or liquors, please let us know. We've actually seen some good varieties in the U.S., so maybe if you stumble upon a store that sells Chinese alcohol,、uh, try some out.、Um, some of them are very, very strong though, or potent. So. If you want to try some out, reach out to us. We can steer you in the right direction. Now, I talked about this a little bit briefly earlier in the、uh, drama episode recap section, but in the drama, Ying Luo speaks a dialect when she's selling the wine. It's supposed to be Suzhou Hua or Suzhou dialect. Suzhou Hua is a variety of Wu Chinese dialect and spoken by the local population from the city of Suzhou and its surrounding areas. Suzhouhua is one of the oldest dialects in China, dating back more than three thousand years. And thankfully, due to written records, we today can study the linguistic transformations of the language until present day. Unfortunately, we are not well versed enough in southeastern dialects in China. Because the dialects found in China range vastly, and this is a prime example. The Suzhou dialect is quite different from Mandarin Chinese. For example, there are only four tones in Mandarin, but in Suzhouese, there's actually seven. What's interesting is that Suzhou dialect is different from Shanghainese dialect, which and, is very close by, and yeah, and other cities in Zhejiang Province. I went down the rabbit hole of finding videos of people reading poems in the Suzhou dialect and the Shanghai dialect, and I kid you not, if it weren't for subtitles, I would not understand a single thing these folks said. Like I mentioned earlier, I read a couple of comments of people listening to the voice actors' attempts at speaking Suzhou Hua, and I think, I mean, the joke is that Ying Luo is trying. Also, yeah, trying. She doesn't know exactly how to speak Suzhou Hua, so it's okay that her Suzhouese is not. Perfect,、uh, but let's just say viewers from Suzhou were not fully impressed with <laughs> the Suzhouese、uh, being spoken. I don't know if there are any listeners out there who speak Suzhou、uh, Hua, so let us know if you think that Yingluo's voice、uh, actress or dub was up to par. 
This once again is why for a lot of actors that come from different backgrounds, especially for example, Charmaine, who grew up in Hong Kong and primarily speaks Cantonese, her voice is dubbed because her Mandarin is not up to, for example, like proper Mandarin standards. If you and I talk, I can understand Charmaine's Mandarin perfectly fine, but not for like standards of TV shows. Correct. And lastly, in episode 46, we see the downfall of the annoying level one opponent, Xiao Jiaping. But what's the story with her historical counterpart? Well, apparently nothing like the drama. We will call her Lady Jin because that is her last name. Lady Jin was born in 1713 to the Jin family who were also of Baoyi status. There's Conflicting documents, but it's most likely that she was actually of Chosen or Korean descent and a member of the Zhenghuangqi or Standard Yellow Banner Baoyi caste. She married Emperor Qianlong when she was pretty young and then, when he ascended the throne in 1735, was given the title of Noble Lady Jin, so Jin Guiren. She was then promoted to Imperial Concubine Jia or Jiapin in 1737. It was then that she gave birth to the fourth prince, Yongcheng, in 1739. Contrary to what we have in the story, she did not die and have her family send her younger sister in the palace to replace her, but instead she went on to have more children with the emperor. So let me give you a rough timeline of the main events in her life. In 1741, she was promoted to consort, so Jiafei, she then gave birth to the 8th Prince, Yongxuan, in 1746. Then in 1748, she was promoted to noble consort and gave birth to the 9th Prince, who wasn't given a name because he died young. In 1752, she gave birth to the 11th Prince, Yongxing, who went on to become one of the four great calligraphers of the Qianlong era. So, just... In this, you know, previous timeline, I listed four sons that she had. That is astonishing. Unfortunately, we don't really see any of these sons mentioned in the drama. We just know of the fourth prince, Yongcheng, who was taken under the wing of the current empress. Now, this Jia Guifei at this point dies in 1755 due to illness at the age of 43. A few days later, she was given the posthumous title of Imperial Noble Consort, Shu Jia Huang Guifei. I'm looking at the list of sons the emperor had, and he often had multiple children with the same woman. Lady Jin was one of them. So, as we can see, this Lady Jin, or in the drama Jia Pin, was definitely favored by Emperor Qianlong if she was able to have four sons, especially in her late 30s. I doubt she would have been as petty in real life if she could garner this much attention from the emperor. Her brother from the Jin clan also rose to become minister of personnel or Li Bu Shangshu during his lifetime. Now during the emperor's lifetime, Emperor Qianlong actually ordered that Lady Jin's family temple in Chosen be repaired. Apparently, it was still visible during the 20th century, but due to its location in present day in North Korea, we do not know if it's still around or destroyed. I do find it interesting that in this drama, this chosen background is not highlighted whatsoever, but in Rui's Love in the Palace, Rui Chuan, it is pretty clear that she comes from a 
uh, clan of Korean background. Jiapin, or Lady Jin, was gifted a posthumous title of Imperial Noble Consort, as I said. Emperor Qianlong had five Imperial Noble Consorts, either in life or death, and she was one of them. What's interesting, though, is that it was Emperor Qianlong's son, Emperor Jiaqing, that performed the Taiti ritual, which means he was the one who rose her entire family from the lower banners of the Baoyi class to the upper banners as the Manchu Zhenghuangqi, or standard yellow banner class, and was gifted the Manchu name of Jinjia. So now, in historical records, we refer to her as Jinjia Shi, but that was not the case when she was alive. So this is a complete turnaround, I guess, um, compared to what we see in the drama. But as you said, Karen, this is not the case in Ruyi Chuan. And that is it for today's podcast episode. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to vote on our website for whatever drama you want us to discuss next. And also, we have quite a few upcoming drama reviews that we are going to complete since we've been chasing quite a few of them for the month of January. As a friendly reminder, if you are looking for sites to watch Chinese dramas and you are in the U.S., please head on over to check out our sponsor, Jubao TV. That is J-U-B-A-O TV. It is a free service that has a selection of Chinese dramas and movies to watch with English subtitles. They have also just launched on Plex, which you can access online or on TV. Thanks again so much for listening. We will catch you all in the next podcast episode.